Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Stacey Boyd, founder and CEO of five-year-old luxury shopping platform, Alavela. Alavela's differentiator is putting its philanthropic mission at the center of its business model. I wanted to ask Stacey how that set the company up for success amid the rise of the conscious consumer and what else is working to compete in the competitive luxury retail market. Welcome, Stacey. Great to be here, Jill. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you. Tell me about this unique business model. It started in the most unlikely of places. I was with Malala, the world's youngest Nobel laureate, in Dadaab, Kenya, the world's largest refugee camp, celebrating her 19th birthday. And Malala is like no other teenager on the planet in that she does not celebrate her birthday by throwing herself a birthday party. Instead, she celebrates it by shining light on girls in need. And that year it happened to be in Dadaab. So we land in Dadaab in this world food plane. We get off the plane with Malala and her father, Zia. And this incredible group of young women greeted us, all of whom received a distance education through Vodafone. I reached into my bag to take out my phone to take a picture of Malala and this incredible group of young women. And I realized two things. First, that um, talent is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. And second, that a fraction of the cost of my bag could have sent one of those girls to school for a year. And I think we all know those things. Um, I don't know how else to describe it except that it went inside me. So uh, I came back and I called a dozen or so luxury designers and said, what if, what if we created an Etaportee or a Matches Fashion or a Sex Fifth Avenue, but with doing good built into every purchase? And they loved it. So uh, about nine months later, we launched Olivella with a dozen or so brands and 200 SKUs. And fast forward to today, we've got hundreds of brands and thousands of SKUs. Uh, and it's been an amazing, amazing journey. So that's, that's, that's how Olivella got started. And Olivella, by the way, Uh, The name is olive for olive tree, symbol of growth and wisdom, and vela, which is Latin for the sails of the ship, with the idea being that we help set people forward on the best path in life. So interesting. So I'm sure it was not a hard sell to these brands. Um, Are there any kind of roadblocks to going there? It wasn't a hard sell. It's you know, luxury is challenging in that they are very careful about distribution. So I think if I were to come in now that there's already an established player, it would be a lot harder. But because we had such a differentiated business model and because we were doing what we were, brands were quite eager to be a part of it. For sure. So the business model is 20% of the net proceeds from every purchase goes to charity. It originally started focused on, I guess, one charity or one one purpose. That's right. Has since expanded to to include, I guess, a variety consumer the customer chooses. No cost to consumers, no cost to the brand partners. Where is this money coming from? <laughs> so it, it so the, the way it works is we, as you said, we donate 20% of the net proceeds to um, one of our charitable partners. There are three pillars that we work in. First is um, 
women's empowerment, which of course, uh, girls schooling is, is, is where it all began. Um, second is climate action. And then the third area is health and wellness, which especially over the past couple of years with all that's been going on with COVID has been a really important place for us to put some of our energy and effort. Um, so the, the 20% does not cost the consumer more. So they'll see the same items on our site as they will on a Matches or a net, uh, or a Saks or a Neiman's, um, but the price won't be any different. Um, so we take the twenty percent out of our portion of the proceeds, and we're able to do that in part because the nonprofits really help us with the marketing part of the value proposition. Um, so it's a oh, great. yeah, it's a terrific way for us to get the word out with our nonprofit partners, really helping spread the word. Uh, and as a result of that, we're not we don't need to spend as much on marketing, and therefore are able to do the twenty percent. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. This is. Is this a regular um, retail brand or wholesale relationship? Is this more like a marketplace? Is there drop shipping and e-concessions? Any of this involved? What is that like? Yeah, I would say about 75% of our brands today are on drop ship. We've been moving a lot of them from um, us holding inventory to them holding inventory. Much more sustainable, much better for the planet rather than having an extra um, set of shipping either to or from. Um, and about 25% come from our, our warehouse in the U.S. Was that a change over the last two years since the start of the pandemic? We heard about all those wholesale difficulties. Yes. So you know, we really started prior to COVID uh, moving brands to dropship again for sustainability reasons. I think I think brands have gotten much more accustomed to doing dropship over the past couple of years. I think we were a little ahead of the curve there, um, but brands have been have been very willing to to move that way with us. Tell me about your customer. Who is she? Is she coming with a purpose like like you, putting purpose at the center of what she does? Um, and how are you finding her? So she is, you know, clearly purpose matters to her. But I like to say that as we think about developing and, and creating the Olivella site, no one is going to buy something simply because it does good. You're not going to buy a bag just because it sends a girl to school. You're going you're gonna to buy a bag because you love the bag and you're going to choose to buy it from Olivella versus somewhere else because of the good that it does. Because you do have a choice as a, as a consumer. So you know, our chief merchant is the former chief merchant at Harrods. Uh, she is oh, amazing. Wow. She has an impeccable eye and has done a beautiful job um, in, in, I think, really creating... Um, a very bespoke and curated collection on on Olivella. But from our customer's perspective, I think the reason they choose to buy from us is, again, because of the, the cause piece of, of what we do and what we're about. What's been your approach to this curation? I've spoken to um, some others, like my Teresa, who I know who is like, we only carry this number of brands. Our specialty is this um, kind of event dressing. And others, yeah, like the more brands, the better. Like we're personalizing um, to the customer, and that's our differentiator. What's yours? We're a more curated selection, I would say. We've actually honed and refined the number of brands on our site. Um, we sell obviously ready-to-wear shoes, handbags, and also beauty has been a big uh, 
a big part of, of what our consum consumer has looked for, particularly over the course of the past number of years. And we have some pretty pretty wonderful brands in there. Dr. Barbara Sturm, Vintner's Daughter. Uh, uh, and I uh, know Augustina's Botter, which has been incredible. Um, so, you know, our real focus is on finding the brands that we know our consumer, our customer will really love um, and focusing and doubling and tripling down on them and telling their stories, right? Um, there are some amazing emerging brands, brands founded by women, uh, and we love telling the stories of those brands. Oh, great. I'm sure that content is a big part of what you do, probably a big investment um, in terms of photography and and the writers and um, all that. Tell me about that. It is. So what's been fun for us, too, if we think about the nonprofits we're partnering with, I mentioned that they bring oftentimes something very unique with respect to marketing. So I'll you know, give you examples of, of, of a couple of our nonprofits. So um, or events we've done with our nonprofits. So, for example, um, St. Jude's has been a big partner of ours. We um, recently crossed the half a million mark in terms of funds raised. And they have this incredible group of celebrities that are very committed to their cause, like Jennifer Aniston and Lucy Hale. Um, Lucy came out to Jackson, Wyoming with us for a weekend, and we had an incredible group of influencers that also came in, um, and we were able to do a beautiful photo shoot of our influencers in the you know, gorgeous Teton Mountains um, with some really exceptional content. Same thing with Jennifer Aniston. Um, again, a wonderful opportunity for us to build a, a unique kind of content in and around the business. I love this kind of influencer trip you you had going here. I know. We'll need <laughs> to get I, you coming on one with us. <laughs> oh, don't tease a girl. No. <laughs> so what did that entail? That entailed, yes, flying a bunch of great influencers. Would, would love to know who, who your influencer, who your girl is. And also, yeah, bring wrangling all of these, bringing in all of this product that's amazing and that they'll want to have fun and play with? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so again, Lucy was there with a couple of her friends and we had uh, a number of others who were just terrific. Uh, it was super fun. Um, and, you know, they were playing with our winner brands, everything from Macage to Montclair uh, to Augustinus Botter to Barbara Sturm. Uh, and it was, I was at the Four Seasons Hotel, which was slope side there. Um, they did some great snowmobiling. It was a very fun, very fun event. How great. So what did that do in terms of, or what did that turn out? What content? That was for Instagram. That was for, what platforms are you focused on? Um, and yeah, did that last a good <laughs> a good season? Or we're, we're not working that far out anymore. No, you, we've, we've used that content um, all the way, obviously, February and, uh, and March. International Day of the Girl was right after that. So we were able to use the content for that. Predominantly Instagram and obviously, uh, a whole lot on site that we used it for. You mentioned beauty a couple of times. What portion or percentage of your business does beauty um, make up? So we're probably around 30% of our business today um, is beauty. During the, during the pandemic, it was much higher, as you might imagine. I mean, ready-to-wear shoes and handbags um, fell through the floor and beauty, health, wellness, uh, jewelry, home did very well. So it you know really depends on what's going on in the world, what our 
what the the overall composition of our of our merchandise looks like that's selling. Yes. Right now it's dresses. Oh my gosh. I, I I'm eyeing a million dresses right now for <laughs> events. Events are back, baby. They but, um, are. You- <laughs> We've seen that in such a huge way. It's been so exciting, especially with it having been so quiet for the previous couple of years, but it has come roaring back in an exceptional way. Nice. Did you pivot your merchandise focus to include athleisure? Um, and, and are you pivoting away from that? What's going on there? Listen, I don't think athleisure is going anywhere. I think um, work from home while people are coming back to the office now in bits and, um, in bits and, and, and pieces, I still think working from home is a big part of how business will be going forward. And I think athleisure is here to stay. But as we talked about, we are seeing that event dressing coming back in a way that's been, in a way that's been very, very different. Um, so we did a lot in athleisure. We did a lot in sleepwear. We actually launched our sleepwear category uh, that first month of the pandemic, which as you might imagine, did exceptionally well. Um, uh, but it's it is very fun to see both. You know, I would both say event dressing and resort wear uh, has come roaring back in a really exciting way. I think people are traveling again. We have a boutique, um, a pop up boutique in Nantucket. We've done boutiques in in Aspen, the Hamptons, Miami. Um, San Francisco, a host of different places, uh, but we're seeing resort dressing coming back in a in a really exciting way too. How great! So um, these pop ups is that a big part of your is permanent retail part of um, your plan? So permanent retail is not, but we have done pop ups that have really helped us get the word out on the brand. And there are some locations like Nantucket where we've done a pop-up, you know, now four years in a row. Um, so it's, we're, it's becoming more permanent, um, but we still like to think of it as a pop-up. We like to think of it as an experience that somebody is stepping into and walking into. Um, and we hope that every year the, the, the pop-up, the boutique feels quite different. Is that turning around significant sales, a significant portion, percentage of your sales, those physical retail opportunities? They are. We we find, especially in a location like Nantucket, it's a wonderful way for us to acquire our VIP customer, those that we do a lot of personal shopping for in the luxury space. Uh, and it's been a wonderful way for us to get out word on the brand and, and what it is we do. We have a great Instagram wall early on in, uh, in Olivella's life in our, in our pop-up world, Jennifer Lawrence walked in and bought an absolutely adorable, just classically Nantucket, uh, straw bag and sort of kicked back her heels. And on the wall, there was, you know, thank you, Jennifer, you just sent a girl to school for 22 days. Um, and everybody who buys something in our in our store has this great Instagrammable wall. So it's a great way for us to acquire customers, but it's also a great way for us to do outreach uh, about our mission and and what we're doing through social as well. Yes. Has that experience, in-store experience evolved at all, again, in the last two years, um, whether, like you said, Instagram, Instagrammable moments, um, is there more maybe, I don't know, integration of technology or any other changes there? So we've had some very interesting um, technology that we've been able to integrate into our stores. Um, one of them is 
um, what we call our edit table, where you can pick up an item. And when you pick up the item, a video plays in the spot where you just picked it up from. And not only can you see that item walking down the runway, but then at the end, it tells you the good that that item will do in the world. So it's been a wonderful way for us, again, to integrate mission into the experience um, while combining fashion and love of the item. Is that location like everything? I would think that these people who are in Nantucket, they're like in this vibe, in this mode where they want to be out and about and exploring and you don't have to like sell them on getting off of their couch and getting into a store to have this sort of experience that's next level, I guess. That's right. It's um it's been it's been terrific. We've been so well received in Nantucket. It's been a really great place for us to to experiment with some of these in-store experiences. So you've got some pop-ups happening. You're on Instagram. You're working with influencers. Uh, Yeah. What else is included and where are you spending your money? So, you know, we obviously do um, some paid um, advertisement as well. But the really big part of our model are these partnerships we do with um, our our nonprofits, right? So I mentioned Lucy Hale, what she's done there. Um, Selena Gomez did an amazing three-minute video that she posted on Instagram. Jennifer Aniston did, uh, you know, has posted for us three times. Um, kind of wonderful post. So this sort of celebrity, we had Mindy Kaling, Jessica Alba, sort of an incredible group of influencers and celebrities that have helped get the word out. But they've done it because they're talking about the you know, the, the wonderful nonprofits that they're that they're partnered with, whether they're in the women's empowerment, in the climate action, or in the health and wellness space. So we, for example, with Save the Children, um, recently caught, crossed the million dollar mark. Um, so we fed close to 350,000 kids during the pandemic, um, kids that otherwise might not have received um, food. They typically got their one good meal a day at school. And of course, schools were closed, making things very challenging. Um, and we've just moved the donation part of what we're doing with Save the Children to supporting um, refugees in the Ukraine. So what I love about our model is there's a lot of flexibility and we're able to kind of meet the moment. And this moment that the world is in is uh, a really challenging one. So that nimbleness uh, in our business model and who we're able to support feels particularly powerful and very meaningful to us at, at Olivella. Yeah, I was going to ask you about what you're most proud of in terms of some of these donations, but you've listed a good couple. <laughs> Those are great. Um, anything else you'd like to mention? <laughs> oh, you know, our our one of our first charities we partnered with um, that we you know will support. Um, you know, as time continues to go on, is care. Um, they work with girls who otherwise wouldn't receive an education, and we have. Uh, the Olivella class uh, of about 100 girls uh, that are going through high school uh, that will graduate um, at the end, I believe, of next year will be our first cohort, which we're incredibly excited about. And I've spent time with those girls, with those refugees, with their families. Um, I know them by name, and I cannot wait to be at their graduation ceremony um, next year. Um, but you know, we work with about 40 different nonprofits, so that's just one that's particularly near and dear to my heart, given how um, Ali Vela started. But part of the reason we we 
you know, we work in different pillars is girls' education is really deep and meaningful to me. But for some others of our of our customers, climate action is really important. Health and wellness is really important. So as you mentioned, you know, after you check out, if the, the nonprofit that we have is the de facto nonprofit on the site um, um, is different than the one that you might want to support, you're able to choose a nonprofit that is more akin to what what matters most to you. And that choice feels very important for our consumer. For sure. Do you notice kind of ebbs and flows in terms of what I don't want to say like trending, but um, in terms of what's happening with worldly news and what's going on? Yes, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's part of why we shift um, the nonprofits that we're focusing on in a given quarter or a given month, um, because you can see things that people feel are particularly um, meaningful. Um you know, it's been interesting. Our VIP customers, um, Stand Up to Cancer, has been one that they've been really passionate about. Um, so even within sort of segments of our customers, we see certain charities having a, a particular pull. Ooh, what's a VIP customer? Oh, my gosh. Well, a VIP customer is somebody who <laughs> doesn't shop with us once but shops with us multiple times. Um, she goes across across categories. She might start with um, Dr. Barbara Sturm, but then you know, buy a Montclair jacket for skiing and Valentino for the summer. And, um, you know, she, she's, she's one of those that we know really cares about um, cause and mission. Um, and Olivelle is the first place for her to stop. That makes sense. Tell me about giving her this luxury experience that she's used to across, across other channels and retailers. Is it about I don't know, customer service, packaging, communication. How would you describe that? Yes, <laughs> all of it, <laughs> right? Yes. So, you know, as I said, while cause is an important part of what we're doing, you know, that to us is you know, only if we are delivering world-class customer experience, um, world-class packaging and the way that we're putting it together and delivery quickly of what it is she wants. Um, and, you know, only if we're able to get on the phone with her or text with her or email with her, however she likes to communicate in order to find what it is she wants, um, will she buy with us? So it's always product first. Um, but we know that, um, our team delivers that kind of experience. And with that, um, we find that, that those that start shopping with us say, why, why would I shop anywhere else, right? If I can buy the same thing here versus somewhere else and do some good in the world, why not? Yes. Did you guys dabble in some virtual styling and all of that? We've done some virtual styling. We're doing some experimenting right now, uh, something we're really excited about. I think the world's a really interesting place when it comes to that. Um, and you'll be seeing much more from us. Okay, great. Well, tell me about, I guess, does fundraising make sense for your company? So yes, so we raised a 35 million Series A when we, you know, in 2019, you know, we, we kind of tested the concept um, for about 18 months and then officially launched about three years ago, uh, which was really exciting. Morgan Stanley helped us put together that. And we have, I can't talk about it yet, but we have um, <laughs> a very innovative way in part, again, because of the social mission of what we do, that we've been able to raise um, money for this next round of financing. But next month, uh, you and I can circle back and I can share a bit more about it. But it's, um, you know, growing for us is is obviously really important. The more, the more we grow, the more good we can do. Um, 
So that's yeah. growth is growth is, is key. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. Does growth mean um new markets? Are you are you largely or exclusively based in the US? So up until last quarter, we were US only. Um, we now ship to 14 additional countries, predominantly here in Europe, as well as Canada and Mexico. Um, and expansion globally is absolutely a part of what we're doing. That's really just the beginning. Tell me about this team, customer service, amazing merchandisers. <laughs> Who's on your team? Yeah, we have just uh, an exceptional group of people on our team. So Maria Milano is our chief merchant, and she has built an incredible team around her, Um, a team that not only knows your go-to brands that everybody knows, but is also really talented at identifying up-and-coming and and emerging designers. I think she's really distinguished herself uh, and her team has um, in, in their eye and their ability to find that. We have um, a terrific head of, of, of warehouse operations, um, keeping everything running smoothly. Erin um, Young, who heads up the team there. We've got a marketing team extraordinaire, uh, Amanda Travis and Aiden Mogahadden, who heads up our paid side of the business. Amanda um, heads up our, our larger brand marketing side. Amanda comes to us from Vestiari Collective. Um, so a lot of experience in luxury. So we've really, we've just got a world-class team. Well, tell me about the growth you've experienced and what you're projecting with who knows what the heck the year is going to bring for, for 2022. I know, <laughs> I know. Well, I'll tell you, during the pandemic, we really did see pretty exceptional growth. Um, you know, we literally 4 x revenue from 2019 to 2020. Uh, which was incredibly exciting. And, you know, part of it was the business model. We had already set things up for dropship, which gave us a lot of flexibility in terms of where our marketing dollars um, might go. We were able to funnel it into health, beauty, wellness, jewelry, um, home, which we knew we're selling and not so much in ready-to-wear shoes and handbags, which we're having a really hard time during during that window. And as a result, we were able to grow in a pretty uh, exciting way. We had obviously a lot of flexibility um, with our offline footprint in that we only do pop-ups, so we weren't too far over our skis with respect to leases and uh, worrying about stores and lockdowns, and we're really able to lean into our online business. So um, it's been really exciting. We again expect to quadruple growth this year, uh, which is which is which is very exciting. It'll be a combination of our pop-ups and obviously online is really where we're driving a lot of our business. Great. And what's challenging you, kind of keeping you up at night? I'm hearing a lot about like these inf- inflation and supply chain. What, what's bothering <laughs> bothering you, the company? Yeah. You know, I think the hardest thing is when you're growing really quickly, um, you know, you're building a team as you're going and getting that team to work really cohesively and together. And I think... You know, I think the past couple of years have really forced all of us to think very differently about how our teams are organized and how we keep people excited and energized. Um, and we're finding our new path forward now that we're, some of us are returning to office, but we don't want to return five days a week. Um, so we're kind of feeling our way towards how do we have a center that holds um, and have people together in a space. I'm a big believer that that makes 
a lot of difference. There's a lot of social capital that's that's gained just by having people in the in the same place. But by the same token, I think we've all learned how to very effectively work from home. So there needs to be room for that too. So you know, for me, it's really finding the right balance between those two. We have a we have a London team um, that we've done a lot of hiring in over the course of the year as we're expanding internationally. We have a, a big New York team. Um, so figuring out a way to have those two locations work really closely and well together. That's probably my biggest challenge. Yeah, for sure. Well, in terms of luxury, the luxury customer, we're here, especially in beauty, which we're, you're playing in that world, yes. um, kind of the intermingling of the mass and the prestige and the luxury and the yeah, non-luxury channels um, as with the Sephora and Ulta and Target and Kohl's and all this stuff. But anyway, where is luxury going? Has it just been kind of democratized or how would you describe it? Gosh, it's a deep question, right? Um, you know, I was talking with uh, the chairman of LVMH um, a few months ago, and we were talking about how the world is really stuck in 1832 Paris. And you might think like 1832 Paris, what, what was going on in 1832 Paris? Then it was the cholera outbreak. Um, and all of the haves left Paris, all of the have not stayed, 3% of Parisians perished. And it literally gave birth to Victor Hugo's Les Mis. And, oh my gosh. Right? And that wasn't something that lasted a number of months. It lasted years. And the chairman was saying, you know, it's a unique about Olivella's business model. Not that we knew any of this was coming, right? I mean, I wish that I had that crystal ball and could say I had the foresight to put this business model together. But I think, you know, the merging of the haves and the have-nots is a really important part of luxury going forward. Um, and finding a way for those two to live together um, and support one another is, is really important. So I think, you know, while we might have been a little bit ahead of our times, I do think you're seeing luxury brands thinking more about that, um, puzzling through that a bit more, and, and that being a, you know, the beginning of, of kind of how, how people are, are, are shifting and moving it a little bit. If that answers your question, but it we thought a lot about that. Um, it's uh, it's you know it's very challenging times, and I think you know I, I think he's right about this place that the world is in. It's a uh, you know it's it, it's a scary place in a lot of ways, um, and and I think there needs to be, especially given the income inequality that I think is at the heart of a lot of the unrest. Um, this knitting together, I think, really does need to happen. I think there are a lot of different ways we can do it. Um, Olivella just being a very small example of one way that you know businesses could think about that. In terms of, I know some brands came together and they like came together and they said we're going to all offer a discount or um, in order to not a discount, we're going to make donations to these. Come, these um, charities thing, people who are benefiting um, pandemic relief, whatever. Anyway, it was, it was, they were orchestrating these things. You were already doing this, like you said. Did you change your, your marketing um, during the last two years to really highlight your business model? That's always been at the core. Yeah. Like we do this. It's always like day one, this has been built in. So this is, you know, um, and I think you have to be careful. Um, I mean, again, with us, it's been built into our model from day one. I mean, it literally started on that dusty airstrip in Dadaab, Kenya. 
Um, I, I think it's, and will always be a part of what we're doing. Um, I think you have to be really careful if you're a brand that hasn't done that before um, to not take advantage of a situation and be just really thoughtful and really careful about how you do it. Because I think, um, you know, unless it's a kind of core part of who you are and what's in your DNA, it can be seen as marketing off of challenging situations. I mean, even with work we've done with Save the Children, you know, we didn't go to a new partner. We stayed with Save the Children. We'd already raised a million dollars for, right, in the work that we're doing in the Ukraine. Um, and that authenticity, I think, is really important for people to feel in a brand. Does that make sense? For sure. Yes. Did brands maybe um, direct their customers more to your site? We did. We had um, a lot of brands come to us and say, what else can we do? Um, And I think that too, it was a very safe place for them to be able to do that um, because that's again been a a core part of what we're doing. And and we've always marketed, always talked about it that way. Um, So we had a ton of brands come to us. In fact, you know, during the pandemic, we were we were probably oversubscribed in the number of brands that wanted to be on the platform. Um, and the past year, Maria's done a beautiful job, has been really kind of culling down our list of brands uh, to be a bit more curated, in part because we had so many brands that wanted to be a part of the solution. I just, you know, I think that's a really beautiful part of where the world is right now. I think everybody sees we're in a very broken place and, and wants to be a part of the solution. Well, that's a nice note to end on. Thank you, Stacy, so much for being here. This was great. Such a pleasure, Jill. Thank you for having me. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.